This is a Capricorn FM podcast. This progressive talk on Capricorn FM, it's now 14 minutes before 8 o'clock and we're speaking progressively. I did say that uh, towards the end we'll have a conversation. We'll be reviewing the book Reflections of a Convoluted Mind, a journey with my mental illness and that is Dr. Samke Ngobos Jenny who authored this book and we're going to be talking to Dr. Ngobo. Dr. Ngobo, good evening. Welcome to Progressive Talk. Thank you very much. Good evening to you and good evening to the listeners. Good evening, good evening. Uh, so when I was reading your book and I went through it, I found different parts of it very striking, but I'll start generally. Uh, so when you say reflections of a convoluted mind, let's start there. What are you talking about there? When I speak of reflections of a convoluted mind, it's discussing basically my mind um, and how my one's thinking is when they're mentally unwell. Mm. So I chose the title convoluted because when something is convoluted, it's intertwined, it seems like something that's very mixed up and not understood. So I thought I'd use words which seem like they're opposites by saying reflections of a convoluted mind because one may ask, how does a mind that's convoluted and confused reflect in any way? But I just thought that because there's such a stigma towards people with mental illnesses, let me speak as that person and show that they can be sensed and they can be understanding um, about, um, you know, issues related to the mind and as somebody who's experienced issues related to a mental illness. Hence the title, Reflections of a Convoluted Mind. And in your case, uh, when did you discover that you were living with a mental illness? I was diagnosed with a mental illness many years ago. I was diagnosed in 2001. At that time, I was 14 years of age. And I wouldn't say that I discovered that I have a mental illness because when you're in that state, you're unaware at times that you there's something wrong, especially since I was so young at the time. Mm. So I just found myself having met myself in hospital. I was so confused. If you can just think it, it's 2001, it wasn't spoken about as it is now. Yeah. So it, it was very little understanding as to what is going on with me. And no one could really explain to me what had happened to me. But fortunately, uh, my, pa- my, pa- my parents were very proactive mm. in taking me to hospital to seek the necessary care. So I was diagnosed at the age of 14. I was in grade nine at the time. And I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Even though I was told only later that it's bipolar, I was just told that um, I have disorder and and you went through high school you went to tertiary you became a doctor how was that journey it was not a smooth journey at all uh, it sounds very you know straightforward and and, and um, you know obvious as one may think you know doctor was written a book as if it was a very straightforward journey and it was nothing close to that yeah. it was a journey that was very chaotic at mm-hmm. times um, I had my first, you know, um, diagnosis when I was 14 and I became ill very briefly at the time. And then I continued my schooling career. And then when it came to university, when I, I applied to be, you know, um, to study medicine, it became very challenging because there were many things that were very stressful at the time in my life. And there was also that element of denial about my diagnosis. So mm. because I was not accepting the fact that I have a mental illness and seeing patients who you know, struggling with the same thing. I couldn't identify with them that, you know, what they have is what I have. You know, I felt that I was different to to patients in that time. 
So I would relapse time and time again because I just would not accept the fact that I have this diagnosis. So um, my schooling, my, my, my academic life was impacted, but by, by the grace of God, I did manage to finish medical school mm. and it made me have a greater resolve to, you know, continue with my career and also try and help others um, with the same challenge. When you talk about relapsing, I when I read in the book, the, there are two stories that struck me, that uh, or three, uh, that you, you related. There's a story where you say you'd be driving on the road and you thought all the billboards will be talking to you. You'd be listening to the radio and you thought the person speaking on the radio will be relating your story or, or, or talking to you yes. or giving you a message as it was. And, and the driving on the road, you could have had an accident because you were, thought yes. you were being chased. You would um, max up your, 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 your card you would use your salary or your credit card even before your salary comes mm-hmm. in and therefore you were not able to meet your your, your monthly commitment maybe just yes. just to briefly share with us those on, on the relapses yeah yes it's a very devastating condition uh, a mental illness is very devastating in any form whether it's depression whether it's schizophrenia whether it's bipolar so what you're describing there and what i was mentioning in the book are the manic episode when i have elevated mood irritable mood and i was very impulsive at the time so when i was in that state any sense of reasoning is not there you feel on top of the world, you feel you you have all this money. And this is just because of the delusion, you know, a, a fixed false belief, basically. Mm. So I recall one of the, I mean, I had several relapses, like I mentioned, but one of those ones that I remember so freshly was um, in 2013. Um, I woke up in the morning at about four or five in the morning, um, sorry, five in the morning. And in my mind, I thought I felt I was being chased. So here I was, I get into my car and I was seeing, you know, I was driving across the road, sorry, crossing the road and at high speed, I felt like somebody was chasing me. And in that state of mind, I was not in my right frame of mind and it's a dangerous place at the time. And it's only in hindsight where you realize the danger that you're in at the time, because when you're in that mindset, you yourself believe that this is a reality to you. You genuinely believe that somebody uh, you know, is chasing you. And that's what I felt at the time. Mm-hmm. And at other times, one of my relapses, I believe that I'm the wealthiest person in the world. And so here I was going into the shops, going in, swiping my cards. And if you are well-dressed, well-presented, mm-hmm. you can't turn around a week later after having bought these unjustified things. And then you come around and you say, oh, sorry, you're not, I wasn't well, because you're speaking sense, it's your card, no one has stolen your card from you. Mm. So it just goes to show the financial implications of having a manic episode and a bipolar mood disorder as well. So it had, it, it had very devastating consequences. And also, um, the, besides the manic episode, it was, it was a psychotic episode where you just, where I felt I was being chased, where, um, you know, you lose touch with reality completely. And it is a very dangerous position to be in. So you also state that you've had, for, for the larger part of your life, had the opportunity to be treated in public uh, and in private hospitals. And then at some stage, because of everything that happened and the impact of the, the, the illness, you went to a, yes. uh, a public hospital. And, and yes. please relate there because you say that the treatment there just made you worse in a public hospital. That definitely was my experience. And I just want to just outline the fact that it's not that every state hospital um, is it has, you know, terrible treatment. It was this particular one that I was in because I have worked in mental health mm. and 
even though the conditions might not be as ideal in terms of the aesthetics in private and in public, but it was this particular hospital that I was in that I found to have treated me less than what I would have wanted to have felt as a patient. And I knew the difference because I had the luxury of private health care and I myself, having worked in the government sector in mental health, I know how uh, you know, a mentally ill person should be treated or any patient to be uh, for that matter. Mm. So when I was in this particular hospital, I just felt that the way the things, the way things were being done was very, um, you know, different and hostile, to be honest. Mm. I felt that, you know, you had to sort of know your place, you know, and you sort of, um, there was that, awareness that you know this person is in here is a doctor and I was very much aware because I'd worked in mental health as well so I felt that you know the program wasn't stimulating that was there and it also goes to to speak about the fact that you know at times the resources aren't as readily available in the public sector than it is in the private sector where you know there'll be a ward program at times and things to be done when you're in the hospital but you know it would be things that are very petty um you know when you're going to the toilet with the other women and you're showering obviously there has to be that supervision because you are in a health facility but you know things like asking for toilet paper where would would be treated in, in in such a ridiculous manner where the toilet paper was broken into pieces and you go to the security guard there and you sort of, you have to ask, you know, there's no, you're saying, I, I need the toilet to run out of it, but it, you know, to be yeah. over trivial matters, um, but- those things would be exaggerated. So I felt that, you know, um, you have to, at, at times, you, that sense of dignity mm. or that sense of autonomy wasn't there. And um, I really felt, you know, dis- discouraged by that and dismayed by it. Even someone who has been uh, as effective as you has has gone out and 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 uh, followed an academic career and gotten became a doctor and other people who were as qualified and knew of your condition knew what it implied you still experience stigma from your peers oh, absolutely i did feel that way i think you know at times um, these things sometimes go beyond education because, you know, this stigma is not always about, is not to say that people who, um, people who subject other people to stigma or people who are uneducated, it, it goes beyond that. And one can agree that, you know, um, I expect that people would understand better, know better, but I think they didn't know how to react to me. Others were very supportive, but others really did judge and look down on me afterwards. You know, you, I, I, I felt as if I was ostracized in some way. Mm. I felt as if I wasn't taken as seriously as I was previously. Any credibility I had in my profession or abilities and capabilities as a professional, as a colleague, as a friend, um, any form of, of, of acceptance that I had previously just falls through the tubes after I was seen in that vulnerable state of being unwell because I feel that people couldn't separate, um, you know, Dr. Sanke, the doctor, and the mm. person who was ill. Yeah. They sort of looked at me differently after that. You, you don't say very much of your personal relations, but you, you, you speak of your family, how it affects them, how uh, they take mm-hmm. care of you and how when things go wrong, they, they, they need to be there. There's an incident that you mentioned when you were younger, that people came and they thought you were uh, demon possessed. They, they didn't want to touch the food at home. But you speak of how your faith has been very important in, in, in your recovery, in your victory. Absolutely. It has played a very integral role. And to be honest, it wasn't as easy earlier on in my life because like I'm saying, this was 2001. I was 14 years old. This was so new. Things related to mental health weren't as openly spoken about as they are now. So at that time, when all these things were happening because I was saying strange things, people from the church were brought in. They tried to involve people in the, um, you know, traditionally and so on. And 
you know, my parents, what I'm grateful for is that they were very open-minded in that sense because they embraced every aspect of, um, you know, seeking the help, you know, going to the doctor, um, embracing my religious um, life. But at, at times, the people from the church were the ones that rejected me because they said I was demon-possessed because... You know, there was very little understanding about what mental health related things are. So if somebody's saying these strange things to you, um, you know, you think it's, you know, it's something because of an, an evil spirit, which why, which is why there's still such a strong element of stigma. And earlier on, I really struggled to reconcile myself with this God that I'm supposed to believe in mm. and still be called demon possessed. I just couldn't understand why was I this person who who demons found a home in. I couldn't make sense of it when I was younger. But as I've grown older and with the support of my friends and loved ones um, and my self-seeking spirituality as well, I became strengthened by it, you know, by learning more about God, understanding that my it's not a sense of being rejected by God in any way. And I don't have to choose between my medication, my religion. Those things work together in forming who Dr. Samgay is. So I think I used to struggle to reconcile the two things about related to religion and the illness itself because I'd been called demon-possessed at the time when I was younger. In conclusion, have you gotten to that point? Who is Dr. Samke? I'm sorry? Have you gotten to the point where you can say who is Dr. Samke as a conclusion? Yes, I I have. And I, I, of course, we are all a work in progress as people. We still learn ourselves. We still grow. There's times where it was very difficult to understand myself with the illness. But I've come to accept that, you know, my illness has become a blessing in the long run in a way. I'm not saying it's a great thing to live with a chronic illness or you take medication. Mm. But I do feel that I have a platform where I'm somebody who stands up tall, has a mental illness, is a doctor and says to people who have depression, who have schizophrenia, who have bipolar, to say to them, you can still live a normal life with whatever challenge you have, even if it's not a mental or any other challenge. You don't have to be defined by whatever stigma that you, or whatever condition that um, you are living with. It doesn't have to be my defining point. And I think that's why I've spoken up. I said, a mentally ill person is not just the man on the street eating from a bin. It can be an educated somebody. It can be anybody. It could be your friend. It could be your family. You could find yourself, yourself in that prison, especially with COVID-19, um, you know, with deaths happening mm. and people becoming ill and getting depressed. Mental health issues are at an all-time high because of these issues. And I think we need to have an open conversation to say life is not easy. Life right. is not easy, but we can embrace um, our challenges with it. Thank you very much, Doc, for talking to us and sharing with us the insights and the inspirations behind the book. Appreciate it. Good night to you. Thank you very much. That was a Capricorn FM podcast. For more podcasts, visit capricornfm.co.za.